wanted to go over the word for significance or significant. And this word actually from the dictionary, it means the quality of being worthy of attention and importance. The quality of being worthy of attention and importance. You might say the word significance uh, has the meaning of something very serious and, and uh, something that you need to have in your life. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus went to the cross, that was significant. When he rose from the dead, that was very significant. When he spoke his last and parting words to his disciples, you better believe they were significant. Think about this for a moment. If you knew that you had so many hours left on the earth, or if you knew the very day that you would pass away or that you would go into heaven, and it was that day, and you, had a, and you were right at the moment, and you had your family or your friends around you, do you think that what you would be telling them would be significant? It would be. I don't think you'd be doing this, hey guys, gather around. Did you hear the one about the... You wouldn't do that. Because you've only got hours left. This is the last day. Especially if it's your family. Especially if it's your children. I know I'm thinking right now about my own kids. There are things, if I knew that I would be leaving in an hour, there are things I'm going to talk to them about. And I'm going, to give, I'm going to talk about finances. I'm going to talk about a lot of things. But I'm going to talk about the Lord. I'm going to, whatever God puts in my heart. This is my last moment to impact somebody was something that's very significant. Well, this is exactly what Jesus was doing in the next scripture that we're going to be reading. He was at the final place. Now, he had already met with them in the, what we call the farewell discourse in the book of John. And he went, you, there's many chapters that talk about, and he's imparting to them these great truths the night before he was crucified. But now it's about 40 days later, after the resurrection. And here he is with his disciples. And he's now going, and he's going to ascend into heaven. And so I call this the final, final last words. And so these are the most important things that he wants to tell them as they go out, and they are going to begin their earthly ministry, or we could say it this way, their earthly service to the people of the world who do not know the Lord who what we call are lost. So let's take a look at Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. And Jesus, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now when it says creature there, it's not talking about cows and sheep and everything else. It's basically, it's talking, if you look at it in the Greek language, it's basically talking about mankind all of his creation in mankind. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now notice, God is not condemning anybody. Who is doing the condemnation here? Who's doing the condemning here? The people who do not believe. They have a choice. God is setting before them life and death, and he's saying, you choose. So those that do not believe God is not condemning them, they are condemning themselves. And then he said in verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. And when it talks about the name, that's the word onama, and it actually doesn't mean in my name like Joe, Bob, or Sue. It's talking about in my reputation, in my stead, in my authority, in my word. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
I was thinking about that they will take up serpents. You remember Paul on the island of Malta? Remember when he, they, they had shipwrecked and he was gathering sticks and he was getting a fire started and all of a sudden a viper came out and it fastened onto his hand and then he shook it off into the fire? Well, Jesus said you will take up serpents. And he said no deadly thing will harm you. And the islanders waited for Paul to fall down dead. What happened? He didn't. And so Paul actually was a manifestation of the scripture. Verse 19, so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, who's they? The disciples. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Important last words. When Jesus spoke these words, they were significant. They were measured. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. He was, at this point, he was establishing the church. And so he was giving the mandate of how the church, or what we say the body of Christ, every born-again believer, he was giving them the roadmap or the mandate of how they were to function in this life, giving them their ministry call, if you will. Did you know that you're called into the ministry? Praise God. Now, notice that Jesus is talking to his disciples. I want to ask a question. Are there any disciples in this house today? We're all disciples, aren't we? If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're a disciple. That word disciple literally means this. It means students who are being taught. It means instructed ones. So what we have to be careful of is when we read the Bible and we see that there were disciples, that we don't distance ourselves from the disciples, that we say, well, he's talking to them. No, he's talking to you as well. If you are born again, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Notice Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or all of mankind. That word preach in the Greek language is a word that means this. It means to proclaim. It means to publish, and I like that, that it means publish, because today we have Facebook and we have all the different social media, and I see a lot of believers putting scriptures up or, or putting things on Facebook about what testimonies of what God has done for them, or maybe they got a revelation from the Lord regarding something, and they put it up on Facebook, so they are definitely publishing it today. They are preaching the gospel when they do that. So it means to proclaim, publish, or announce and in this verse used here, it is talking about kingdom truth. It's talking about the gospel with its attendant privileges and obligations. In other words, it's talking about to make the gospel known. The word gospel is kind of a different word, and it means this. It means the good news. We've all heard that. Or it could, you could say it this way. It means the good message it's the message of salvation. It's also a message of talking about having God's divine favor upon your life, both spirit, soul, and body. Did you know that you're three parts, spirit, soul, and body? I am a spirit. I live in a body. This is my, I always say, this is my earth suit. This is my three-dimensional vehicle that I walk around in a three-dimensional world with. So this is my earth suit. And I have, I possess, I have a soul. My soul, a lot of people get soul and spirit mixed up. My soul is my mind, will, intellect, and emotions. That's kind of the part of us where we have a lot of trouble, isn't it? Is the soulish part of us. You remember the story when Jesus was talking, when the rich young ruler, young man came to Jesus and he asked him about, what do I need to do to have salvation? Let's take a look at Matthew 19, 16 through 17. 
Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? There is one, no one is good but one, and that is God. So what did Jesus do right here? We're not going to go over the story with him, but I wanted you to see that one point where he said, no one is good but one, and that is God. So what, God, what Jesus did at that moment is Jesus defines good as equating with God, is, one, is God's attribute. So when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the good news or the good message we could say that it's the God news. It's the God message. And what is that message? That he loves mankind. Remember in 1 John chapter 4, there are two scriptures, I think it's verse uh, 8 and verse 16, where it says that God is love. God does not have love. We have love. He does not have love. He does not have love as one of his attributes. It's who he is. He is agape love. He is not just the embodiment of it. That's who he is. And if you want to find out about agape love, you need to check out 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's just not talking to you about what love is. You're actually reading the attributes of who God is. He loves mankind and has come to rescue them from bondage of sin and its effects, to bring them into his family and empower them to be all that he has preordained for them to be. You think that's good news? I think that's good news. I need some help in life. How about you? Maybe I'm the only one, but I'm telling you, the older I get, I just turned 63. Can you believe that? Whew, look out. Sometimes I just look in the mirror and laugh. I just start cracking up. Because inside, you know how I see myself? I see myself as about 20 years old still. <laughs> and, but so sometimes I look in the mirror and I want to say, who is that? <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, the older I get, I find out just how much, how much I need him daily. And how much I've, maybe it's just something that comes with age, but I've just learned, I'm learning to let go a lot more in life. And I'm learning to just take hold of him. And I'm learning how to press in deeper and deeper and deeper and experience what I call the, what the Bible calls the beauty of his holiness. And it's an awesome place to be. Praise God. Let's take a look at John 3:16. And 17 is a scripture that we all know. Many of us memorized the scripture in Sunday school or VBS when we were very young. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's important for us to realize right there. For God so loved that he gave. One of the attributes of agape love is that agape love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. I want to I take a look at four key points in this, these two scriptures right here. Number one, it's talking about God's love which is what the source of the gospel demonstrated in the giving of his only son to die upon, upon the cross in our place, in our stead. Number two, it talks about the beneficiaries of the gospel. Who is that? Everyone who believes. I like that. Number three, it talks about the required response, which is what? Simple faith in Jesus. Isn't that easy? Simple faith. Just accepting Jesus into your heart. Number four, 
the benefit of that response, which is those who believe will live forever and enjoy an awesome relationship with the Lord. Those who do not believe or reject the message will perish. And I looked up that word perish because actually, do, do people really perish when they don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord? I mean, when they die, are they, you know that your spirit lives on, right? And so our spirits will never die. Our flesh will die, but our spirits will not die. So knowing that people do not die, they either go into heaven or they go into hell, and eventually they will be placed in what we call the lake of fire. But do they perish? No, they live. You have eternal life. Everybody has eternal life. It's the choice is where you're going to spend that eternal life. So I looked up that word perish, and it's, it's a compound word in the, Greek in the Greek language, and it actually, I guess I could say it this way, away ruin or off ruin. And so it really means ruination, but it means, I like that, away or off ruin. And I thought about that for a moment. If we pull ourselves away from God's love, we reject God's love, then the state of your being will be ruination. And something for us to remember is that it also talks about when we give our lives to the Lord, it talks about everlasting life. And one of the one of the ways we think about eternal life is we think it's one day in the sweet by and by when we get to heaven, our eternal life starts. Did you know that your eternal life started the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Your life started then with all the rights and privileges of the kingdom have already been given to you. Our problem is we live far below what's been given to us. And so you've heard me talk and you've heard Pastor Ryan and our pastor talk about this, worship. It's one of the key aspects of your life that'll bring you into the presence of God and into the mindset and understanding of the fullness of the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Is God interested in mankind being saved? Absolutely. Why? He is love. He's always reaching out. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. In other words, he is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish or come to ruination, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know what the word repentance means? It doesn't mean a lot of times the church, we get repentance and forgiveness kind of intertwined. And we think that repentance and forgiveness are pretty much kind of the same thing. And that they're not. They're two separate areas. Re forgiveness is going to the Lord according to 1 John 1, 9 that says if we, uh, if we sin, we come to him, confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin, we say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry, I don't want to live like that anymore. I ask you to forgive me for that. And he does. Repentance means to, if I'm walking this way, if I repent, I'm going to do an about face and I'm going to go back the other direction. So repentance literally means to do a 180. And it means to turn your life around. It means to stop functioning in the areas you've been functioning in. And with his help, You can't reason your way out of things. You can make a decision. But a lot of times we, we find that our flesh is a lot stronger than our decision-making capabilities a lot of times. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his help. And you are, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you are empowered with his spirit to help you live the Christian life. As being one with him... How can we not go into the world and share with them 
that which the Lord has deposited into us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, You are our epistle written in our hearts. Do you know what an epistle is? A lot of people think that's the wives of the apostles. The epistle is a letter. Okay, it's not that. That was a bad joke, right? <laughs> Nobody laughs. It must, must not have been good. I'll try to do better the next service. But I think I'm still going to do it. <laughs> you are our epistle. It means a letter of importance, I might add. And so it says, you are our epistle. Paul is writing here to those who have been converts in his ministry. You are our epistle written in our hearts. Known and read by all men. Did you hear that? I want to look, I'm looking at each one of you. Now listen to this. You are an epistle. Every one of you are an epistle of the gospel. Known and read by all men. People are watching you. They know you're a Christian. Your family's watching you. And they will measure the Lord. And they will measure the church. And they will measure the gospel according to your actions. Is that a high calling or what? That is a high calling. You are a epistle known in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Each one of you are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, as the Ten Commandments, but of flesh, that is, of the heart. We are his living gospel, each one of us. We are the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the proof of the good news. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, it says, And he gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Do you know who the saints are? Do we have any saints in the room? Yes. If I was in the Catholic Church, I don't know what I'd get an answer on that one. <laughs> but, you know, the little statues they have. I saw, I saw a transport van the other day, and it says St. Lucy's Transport. I says, who was Lucy? <laughs> the only Lucy I know is Ricky and Lucy, but... I thought, I thought, you know, she was obviously a really good person that did some really great things, and they held her in high esteem, as well we should hold one another in high esteem. But to think that only certain people are saints, uh, we've got to break that mindset. Because when you read the Gospels, it says to the saints, and it names the church, who are in Ephesus, who are in Philippi, who are in Colossae. And so it's talking about those who are born again. I, I remember teaching in a convalescent home when I was talking about this, and a man who used to be in the mafia, I remember he was with Jimmy the Greek, and so he was sitting on the front row, and when I talked about you were all saints, he went, oh, oh, no, no, no. And he was freaking out. And he goes, you don't know what I've done, you know? And I, says, I said, are you born again? If yes, just into your life. And he says, yes, I have. I says, then you're either a saint or an ain't. And you better, you better figure out which one you are, okay? <laughs> you're one or the other, all right? And so he had a hard time wrapping his head around that because of the mindset of the church, the Catholic church, that had brought out that these are real special people and just not everybody can be a saint. Well, the Bible tells us if you're born again, you are a saint. Praise God. I don't know. Anybody have a little statue of Pastor Gary on there? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Keiko has a little statue of me in the kitchen. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. We need to get on with this, all right? <laughs> oh, geez. It's probably about the same size as her. I don't know. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. I lost it right here. I'll scratch that one out for the second service. 
some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We call this the fivefold ministry. And it's for the equipping of the saints, the church, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Not everybody is called to the fivefold ministry. But we as pastors here in the church, Pastor Ryan, myself, Pastor Nolan, Pastor Gary, Pastor Terry, Frankie, and, and Andy, the people who are called into the fivefold ministry, our job is to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying is literally talking about building a superstructure in the Greek language. It's actually talking about the construction of a large building, as in the word edifice. You like to go on road trips? We're going to go on a road trip right now. There's a, I want to equip you with something. You have it in your notes, and these next five points, uh, there's actually ten points broken up into two categories, but the next five points you should actually cut out and you should paste into the, or keep in your Bible, because this is giving you, through the book of Romans, the plan of salvation and how to bring, how to, we could say how to witness to somebody, or how to uh, bring the, the glory of the gospel of Christ to them and help them with their understanding. So this will help you. Number one, everyone needs salvation. Everyone. Why? Because all have sinned. And I've heard, actually heard people actually think that they haven't sinned. Well, I'm a good person. I give money to Father Flanagan's Boys Ranch. I give money to Fred Jordan Mission. I give money to here and there. I'm a good person. I'm surely I'm going to heaven. It's not about your works because you were born a sinner. Okay, it goes all the way back to Adam is the pro was the problem when they rebelled against God and they were kicked out of the garden. That whole act thrust all of mankind into a sin-polluted creation that was separated from God. Romans 3.23 tells us this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice it said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.18 and 19 kind of opens up our understanding in this area. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, there it is, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Who's that talking about? Adam. Many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So who are we today when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Our sin has been blotted out. Our sin has been forgiven. And we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Number two. Step two, the price or consequence of sin is death. The price or consequence of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I like to say it this way because a lot of times we read this scripture and we'll see it. The wages of sin is death. Well, I'm born again. I'm a believer now, so all my sins blotted out. Did you know you can still sin? That's why we have 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible, which was written to the church, by the way. And so a lot of times we have the mindset that the wages of sin is death, meaning going to hell. But did you know that you can still encounter death here on this earth right now? through your unrepented sin. And so I like, to, I like to quote it this way, for the wages of sin is death and the effects of death. 
which could be sickness and disease, can be poverty, can be many other areas. If we function in sin and we don't repent and we continue to sin over and over and over, doesn't mean, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. What I'm saying is you will have hell on earth because the wages of sin is death, and you can't get away from that. I've heard a lot of people on Facebook, especially talking about this what I call sloppy agape grace message. They've overextended grace, and they've gone way onto one side that you can't sin and everything, but they forget about the scripture. Yeah, you can go out and do whatever you want to do, but the wages of sin is death, and I, you're not going to get away from that. You will encounter adversity, not only to mention this scripture, but you've got John 10.10 that says the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. You can't get away from that. You open the door to the devil to live the way you want to live, I guarantee you, you're going you're gonna to get yourself beat up by the enemy. And if, he's, and if he, you're unrepented sin, he will bring sickness into your life. He will bring trouble into your life. Can I give you one more? How about Galatians 6, 8? That says, he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But those who sow to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. That's not talking about going to heaven one day. That's talking about the eternal life that's available to us right here on the earth. So what is it? There are consequences. There is a law of sowing and reaping. So when I hear people say, well, I can do this, I can do that, I can go here, I can say that, I do that, and I look at them and I say, yeah, you can. Do you want to? Because you're going to have trouble with the enemy in that area, and you're sowing to the flesh, and you're going to make your flesh dominant, and you will have problems in life. Let's move on. Number three. Jesus died in our place for our sins. He paid the price for our death. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. I like what the Amplified says here. It says, but God shows and clearly proves his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, in the pathetic state that mankind was in, steeped in sin with no hope, Jesus came to redeem all of mankind, make the way available for those to know the Father through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. Step four, we receive salvation and eternal life through faith in Christ alone. Romans 10, 9, and 10 and verse 13 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple, isn't it? For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession or profession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, I love this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And boy, I thought of the story of the thief on the cross, the two thieves on the cross, and there's Jesus hanging on the cross between these two thieves. One of the thieves was mocking and railing on Jesus. I mean, this is the, this is the end game right here. They've got moments to live. They're at the very end of their life. And one of the thieves looks at Jesus, looks into his eyes. He looks, I mean, they're suffering on the cross with excruciating pain, terrible death struggling to get every last breath and to hang on to life. And the one thief looks over at Jesus and he sees Jesus modeling something that's different. Than, do you think that these thieves have seen crucifixions before? I think they've witnessed a whole bunch of them. But he sees something in Jesus in his actions and he sees something significant in his eyes. And in his words, and all of a sudden that one thief says, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And he says, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Right there at the last moments of life. Wow, you talk about just sliding into home and barely making it. 
He accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Safe! He made it. (laughs) Praise God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse, step five. Salvation through Jesus Christ brings us into a relationship of peace with God. Look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. I like the word justified. I just like it. You've probably heard me say it a whole bunch of times, but I'm going to say it again. That word justified, you know what it means? Break it down. Just if I'd never sinned. That's what the word justified means. Washed clean, justified. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God, and that word peace in the Greek language is a word that means harmony, security, prosperity, health, wholeness. Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope, the earnest expectation of the glory of God. You have been given access to the kingdom. Access, you have it. I think of a big old key and opening up that lock and I open the doors and there's glory there. I've got access to the Lord. I've got access to the kingdom. Oh, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy and find that to help in time of need. We have access. I want to give you five points. The best way to share your faith is to be an example. In other words, it's for us to live it. Did you know that? A lot of people, when they hear a message like this, they think about, oh, I've got to go out on Garvey, and I've got, got to get a bullhorn, and I've got to tell everybody that they're going to hell, and, and I've got to be ready to preach a sermon. No, that's not it. The best way to preach the gospel, number one way, is for you to live it, is to believe it and live it on a daily basis, and then trust the Lord to open up divine opportunities for you to step through that divine moment door and to, with the Lord's leading, bring an understanding and help the person through where they are. Sometimes it means just listening, just having an ear to hear what somebody else is saying. Number one, demonstrate the very things you believe, or we could say model the very things you believe, by staying positive and having a good attitude even in the midst of a crisis in your own life. I was doing good till I got up to that last part, huh? Until I said having a crisis of your own. When we have a crisis, we want to, that's my opportunity, this is my moment to let my emotions go. No, it's not. It's your moment to press into the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, that's one of the benefits of worship. When you have a moment, a crisis like that, that's the time you get away with the Lord. That's the time you press into him. That's the time you begin to worship and love on the Lord, and you get quiet and allow the Lord to minister to you and to fill your tank with his divine presence. Listen, when those around you see the peace in your own life when you're going through a crisis especially when you're in the midst of the storm and they know you're in the midst of the storm. They're watching you. Remember, you're an epistle known and read by all men. And so when you're in a crisis, people are watching you to see, are you really different? Or is what you've been telling me, are they just words? Or do you believe them to such an extent that you allow those words to control your own life? I'm watching you. I want to see how you handle this. People will take note. Number two, treat people with respect and dignity regardless of the circumstances. Always seek to treat people with respect and dignity. Why? God is love. You've been born again. I got news for you. You're in the love family. You're you're not on the love boat. You're in the love family, 
And you need to understand that. You are in the family of love. Your father, your heavenly father, is love. And you should be modeling what exuding who he is because why? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of love is where? In you. Some people are always on the defensive and they are not expecting kindness. And when you begin to be kind to those defensive people, it breaks through that defensive nature of theirs. And all of a sudden you've thrown it, you've got them off balance. They're not expecting, they're expecting an argument. And when you come through with love, all of a sudden you've disarmed them and you've broken through something where you can truly minister to them. And I'm not talking preaching the word to them necessarily at that moment. I'm talking about being a friend to them at that moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 8, 13, 8 tells us love never fails. I remember years ago, I don't have time to tell the story, but years ago there was a woman who gave me a hard time, really a hard time, and uh, wrote a letter to the pastor, wanted me out of this church. It was terrible, terrible, said thing. She only knew about half of this certain situation, and she thought she knew the whole story, and she didn't. And she went off and called, wrote, sent me a letter, sent pastor a letter. It was awful. And I got defensive when I first read it. I got like, she doesn't know the whole story. I need to call her and I need to fill her in and I need to tell her. And the Lord says, no, you're not going to do that. And the Lord says, what I want you to do is I want you to send a card to her. Get a nice, lovely card and send a card to her and say, thank you so much for caring for me. Thank you for your concern for me. I know that you are a praying woman, and I know that you will go to the Lord on my behalf, and I just want to let you know I love you, I appreciate you, and I thank you for your ministry. And I sent it. That's not what my flesh wanted to do. <laughs> Telling you, that is not what my flesh wanted to do. But I did it. I said I wasn't going to tell the story. Here I am in the midst of it. Long story short, when I came to church the next Sunday, this woman was here. And the pastor at that time, Pastor Bradford, he, we had three services, and he always did every service exactly the same. Same jokes in the same spot, everything the same. This service, he preached, the, she, I think she was in the second service, he preached the first service. The second service, he preached an entirely different message on character assassination. I'm, I'm an elder sitting on the front seat, and I'm going, whoo, boy, it's getting warm in here right now. <laughs> and I mean, he preached it hot and heavy and dramatic, and he was forceful. It was on character assassination. See, he said, many times you think you know the story, you don't, and you ruin somebody's life. And I'm sitting there going, whoo. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody what was going on. After the service... Everybody walked out. I'm standing on the front row here, facing the congregation, and I see this woman back there crying her eyes out in tears. She gets up, walks over to me, stands in front of me, and she said, will you forgive me? I was so wrong. I was wrong. I'm repented before the Lord. And she says, I've said some terrible things about you, and none of them are true. And she goes, will you forgive me? Man, I reached out and hugged her, and we're both crying, and it was an awesome moment. I could not have done that with my own intellect. I could not have done that. But when I chose to walk in love, God, I was speaking God's language when I did that, and God was able to move even upon our pastor, which changed the whole message for one person's life. It was almost an act of intercession, my walking in love toward that woman, which opened up the Lord to change pastor's message to redeem a woman's life from an error that she was walking in. Guess what the third service was? Identical to the first service. He went back to his original message. It was a supernatural event. It was tremendous. Find creative ways, number three, to be a blessing to others. This not only brings blessings to your own life, but it shows others that you are genuine. It proves that you live out what you believe. Saying you're a Christian is one thing, 
but living it in tangible ways every day is something else. Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, he says, you will know them by their fruit, by what their life produces. In other words, living proof. We need to have living proof of the gospel in our life on a daily basis. Here's a saying that I've held on to for many years. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is so true. When I went to uh, Japan in 2001, I think it was, Keiko's mom and dad were missionaries in, J- in Japan. Keiko was raised in, J- in Japan as a child. They were, both her parents, mom was born in Honolulu, dad was born here, and then they went, they heard MacArthur's call, Second World War, for missionaries to go into Japan, and they went. And so Keiko was raised in Japan. But when I went to Japan, I met with some of the students She had a ministry to college students in Tokyo University, which is the prestigious university in Tokyo, and I think a couple other universities there she was also in. But one of the students who is now a professor at Tokyo University took us to lunch, and she began to tell stories about Keiko's mom. And it wasn't all the stories I heard. This woman did not remember any of her preaching, although... Keiko's mother was an excellent, eloquent preacher. We have, a, we have a cassette of her preaching, and I'm telling you, she was phenomenal. This woman wasn't telling me any of the gospel messages. You know what she was telling us? The reason why your mom reached so many students is we knew that they were missionaries. We knew they didn't have much money. But when we were in trouble and we were out of money, your mom would give us money. Your mom would buy us food. When our families rejected us, your mom would let us sleep over. Your mom would spend time with us when we were going through trouble, and they would listen to us. All of a sudden, it hit, it clicked in me. All the stories I heard were those kinds of stories. It was the proof of the gospel. It was the living proof of being a friend, of being relational, not just being distant and trying... And repent, repent, how many hands I need? Okay, write them down. That's how many we got to, and move on. It was being relational. It was touching lives. It was being real. It was allowing that love of God to exude out of her life, which won so many students to the Lord. And as I went into the student center, which is named after her mother and father, on the wall was this huge board of all these photographs of people all over the world that that have been saved through their ministry all these students, and today they're they're high-level functioning. They're in the high areas in Japan, and they're born again, and they are ministering and sharing the gospel to others in Japan. Tremendous. It was all about their love. Number four, don't compromise your beliefs. Situations will arise where you will be tempted to compromise, but seize the moment by demonstrating that your Christianity means... Living a life of integrity, fueled, processed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This means speaking up if you've been undercharged or you've been given too much change. Even in the little things, that's an opportunity to to witness. I was at Sam's Club uh, this last year. I bought a battery. And... So I went in there, bought this battery, and they said, well, when you bring the old battery back, we're going to charge you so much money. It's called a core charge. And when you bring the battery back, then we'll give you a refund of so many dollars. And so, great, it's fine. So I took the battery home, put it in my car, and it wasn't about a week later. I didn't have time to go back right away. So I finally went back with the old battery, and uh, I was in a hurry, and so I went to the desk and uh, gave the battery there and Gave the lady my receipt, showed her the core charge on there. And so she processes this, and she I need your credit card. I'll just put the money back on your credit card. No problem. Handed her my card. She processed it, and I left. And it wasn't, so I got home, and I'm real meticulous about records on everything. I keep records on how many fish I caught, everything. And so it's, it's, it's something. And so anyway... I go into my record on my car to enter in this battery with the mileage and everything. And, and as I looked at the receipt for the, 
this woman had refunded the entire amount of the battery. Cha-ching, I had a free battery! <laughs> no. You know how I saw it? Oh, man, now i got to go back to Sam's Club again <laughs> to do the right thing. <laughs> and so I went back in, and I had to get a hold of the manager, and I, there was nobody there. At the, it was a hassle to do the right thing. It was a hassle. And so I went in, and the guy comes in, and he looks at it, and he goes, whoa. You got, you got a free battery. He goes, she wasn't supposed to. I said, I know, that's why I'm here. And he goes, why would you do this? Opportunity to share the gospel. And I said, because I live, I live my life to a higher standard. Because my God, and I got to talk about the Lord. And I just, I didn't preach a long sermon. And I just said, but because of what God has done in my life, I live to a higher standard. And I said, this money does not belong to me. It belongs to your business. And for me to keep this money and not come back, I could not stand before my God and expect the fullness of his blessing when I don't walk in the integrity that he expects of me. And so he goes, wow, not many people would do that. And so did he accept the Lord? No. He may. I don't know. But I was able to be a, a lighthouse to him at that moment. Character is how you live when no one else is watching. That's character. Number five, forgiving quickly is a powerful way to show how Christianity really works. Become a model of forgiveness. Nothing creates division, hostility, and turmoil more than an unwillingness to forgive the people who hurt you, even when you're absolutely right. And being right, listen to this, being right does not give us a free pass to punish, humiliate, or embarrass someone else. And it doesn't eliminate your responsibility to forgive. Write this down, Galatians 5, 6, and look that up later. I'll tell you what it means anyway, but the, the second half of the scripture says this, faith works by love, and that word love is agape, is agape love, the same love of whom God is. Faith works by agape. We could say light bulbs work by electricity, cars work by gas. Run out of gas, your car's going to stop working. Is there anything wrong with the car? Nothing wrong with the car. It just needs more gas. It doesn't work because there's no fuel in it. Don't pay the electric bill. Your lights aren't going to work. Is something wrong with the light bulbs? Don't go out and change all your light bulbs. Nothing wrong with the light bulbs. They just don't have any electricity. How about your faith? Somebody says, well, my faith isn't working. You know the first thing I say to them? How's your love life? Could it be that you've been ugly with people? Could it be that you're not exuding and walking in the same type of agape love that, you're, that the Lord asked you to walk in? Faith works by love. Pull the agape love away and you'll have a faith that is inconsistent. Somebody, somebody will say, well, I've heard everything you say, but you know, sharing the gospel, you don't understand. I'm not trained. Well, let me tell you how you do it. You simply share your story. What has the Lord done for you? That's the best testimony. That's the best gospel right there. What has God done for you? Revelation 12, 11 tells us, and they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, what God has done for them. And they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, it wasn't about them. It's all about others. Experiential passion is infectious. It will infect others. It will reach other people's lives. Jesus didn't come to make you a success. <gasps> well, what do you think I've been coming to church for? I need some help. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to make us a success. He came to bring us into significance. What's the difference? I'm going to tell you. Success is when we add value to ourselves. Significance is when we add value to others. 
Significance is helping others to succeed. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? Let's look again at Mark 16, 17, and 18. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. Who? The believers. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. Well, you know what? We do that here in the church. Every Sunday, we lay hands on the sick. But did you notice the context of this verse? It's not talking about the church. It's talking about going out beyond the walls of the church, and it's talking about the believers going out into the world and laying hands on the sick. And that when you do that, they will recover. You see, we do this in the church, but we're talking about, but we're doing that on believers. We're laying hands on believers. Did you know that believers, this is really isn't, this really isn't the way for believers to get healed? Now, we do it because we want to bring every area to get you into your healing. But if you really understand the gospel, this really isn't the way for believers to get healed. The way for believers to get healed is Romans 1.17 that says this, the just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith, trust, believing the gospel, the word, the promises, the Lord, entering into worship and loving him, worshiping him, trusting him, standing on his word, rebuking the enemy, rebuking the sickness and disease. I mean, this verse here in Mark 16, 17, 18 is really talking about kingdom significance. In, this, in these verses, you will find authority. You will find divine edification. You will find dominion and protection. You will find covenant privileges and ministrations all within those two verses. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe. Let's take a look at the word signs. The word signs literally means this. It means sign. It means mark. It means miracles with a supernatural end and purpose. It means wonders. It means this, fingerprints of God. Wow. I love that. Fingerprints of God or finger marks of God. Have you ever picked up a glass, something that's nice and glass, that's nice and clean, or like when you were a kid, your mom washed the windows, and then you went up and put your handprints on the windows? You just touch the glass, ah, get your hands off that window, you're leaving fingerprints, and you remove them, and all five fingers are right there. You just printed them. Why is that? Well, you've got a little light coating of oil in your skin that leaves a mark. When criminals go in and they commit a crime, if they don't have gloves on, what happens? They look for fingerprints. Why? Because there's that thin coating of oil there that leaves a mark. But think about this for a minute. You as the believers, you've got the finger marks of God all over you. And the fingerprints of God, that oil, that thin coating of oil. In the Bible, that's talking about Jesus. One of the names for Jesus, he's the Messiah. If you look in the Old Testament, it's the word Mashiach. And it's the word that means greasy with the anointing. Jesus is greasy with the... You didn't know Jesus was a greaser, huh? <laughs> greasy with the anointing. And so when they talk about those finger marks of God all over you, what does that talk about? You've got the anointing of God in your life. You've got it. Every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you've got the finger marks of God on you. You've got the anointing on you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You've got it. And these signs, manifestations will follow and mark the believers. You're marked. Turn to somebody and point at them and say, you're marked. You're marked not for the sake of the marking alone, but you're marked as an indicator to others for what's available to them. Notice it said these signs will follow. Follow means that they come after an initiated action. 
of those who are stepping out in faith, partnering with the Lord, and living out this command to go. Did you know that the word go is two-thirds of God? G-O-D. Did you get that? There's only three letters there. It's simple. G-O-D. Well, two-thirds of that is go. And so God is a going God. He's a moving God. He's on the move. He's on the go. Laying hands upon the sick, meeting their felt needs, is the dinner bell to the gospel. Did you know that Jesus ministered like this? Matthew chapter uh, 14, verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. There's the agape love right there in action. He was moved with compassion upon him. Who were these people he was moved with compassion? They were sinners. They were committing all kinds of sin. They weren't born again. But he was moved with compassion to them. He wanted to get something across to them. He knows that he's the anointed one. And he wants to get that anointing into their life, functioning, flowing into their life, making changes, bringing change into their life to where they can wake up and see that they need him. Moved with compassion for them, and he did what? He healed their sick. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That was significant. Look at Matthew chapter 20, 32 to 34. This is the story of the two blind men. They're sitting by the road and Jesus is walking by and they cried out to him. So Jesus stood still and what did they call him? Son of David, son of David. Did you know that the word son of David, you know what that is? They were saying Messiah. That's a messianic term. They're saying, you who are greasy with the anointing, stop. I need you. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. That compassionate, loving act that reached out and touched a felt need in their lives opened their hearts up for the gospel. He could have kept walking. He could have ignored them. But there was a greater good. There was eternal life on the line. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, seek out these two blind men and ask them, was that a significant moment for you? It was very significant. They were made whole. I'm going to say this again. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Mark 16, 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming or fulfilling the word through the accompanying signs. The literal Greek in this is that, and they went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working and the word confirming with following signs. In other words, significant God moments. Don't allow fear to stop you from sharing the gospel and giving God substance to work with. Hebrews 13, 8, we have it on the back wall here. You need to know that when you step out, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he will do today, for he is confirming, fulfilling his word, and he will never stop doing that. John 14, 12, 14, 12 through 14, this is a closing scripture. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, now pay attention to this. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. (gasps) Did you get that? I'm not making this up. I'm not twisting the scripture. This is Jesus' own words. And he said, the works that I do you also will do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's he talking about? What's the context here? Go into all the world. As you go into your world, 
into your businesses, into your family reunions and your family picnics, as you go to the grocery store, to the mall, and the Lord opens an opportunity. Don't shrink back, step through it. I can't tell you how many times I've been in restaurants. God always gets me in restaurants. Maybe that's why I'm always on a diet. I don't know. I love to go to restaurants and study. <clears throat> I'll take books in there and, I <clears throat> and I'll sit there for two, three hours. I'll eat my food and I sit there and I just study. I love to study in restaurants. And sick people will walk in and the Lord will say, there's one. And I go up to them and I minister to them. And I just, I don't do preach and I don't embarrass them. And sometimes they say no. I'll say, may I pray for you? No. Okay. It's sad because they just missed an opportunity because the Bible said they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. I've had all kinds of people in restaurants that God's led me to, to step out in faith and to lay hands on them. When I'm walking down the street, I go for a three-mile walk every night. There's people on the street. I lay hands on the sick. I pray for them. And so we, wherever you are, allow the Lord to lead you and demonstrate and let your light shine of the genuine integrity of the gospel. The Bible tells us that you are a mountain mover. You're an earth shaker. You are a history maker. You are a miracle looking for a place to happen. Step out in faith and engage the significance that you were called to. Will you all stand?